few notes before we get into today's podcast. We are still doing the giveaway, so if you want to try to win a GoPro 9, a GoPro Chesty, and a GoPro Shorty all in one little bundle, there's an opportunity to do it. Just follow the link at the end of the show notes for this podcast, and it'll take you to the Precision Camera website. You could also do a search. Just do Wild and Exposed GoPro Bundle Giveaway. It'll take you to that link. Basically, you just have to follow us on Instagram, both Precision Camera and Wild and Exposed. And then you also have to sign up for a newsletter or just fill in the blank with your email address so that we can keep you updated with things that we have going on. And you're entered. So then you could possibly win this $497 bundle and win it for free. We're giving away one. If you don't win, we also have that same bundle and they're doing a promotion on it at Precision Camera. You can go to the Precision Camera website, type in Wild and Exposed GoPro Adventure Bundle, and it'll take you to an item in their store where you can buy this GoPro Chesty, GoPro Shorty, and the GoPro 9. It basically retails for $479.97, but if you use the code that I'm going to give you, you will get $140 off. Use the code WEGOPRO. doesn't matter if it's all caps, all lowercase, WEGOPRO. Put that in and you will get $140 off at checkout. Lastly, the It Depends t-shirts, they're proving to be pretty popular. So if you want to represent Wild and Exposed, and if you feel like we do and every question is answered with It Depends, it might be kind of a fun t-shirt to represent with. All you have to do is go to the shop link on the Wild and Exposed website. It's the first product that shows up. We got a long sleeve shirt and a short sleeve shirt, and it's just something that helps us out. We don't make a lot of money on these t-shirts, but it does help. It helps pay for some of the web space and just some of the other costs that we have. That's it for now. On to the show. Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Mike Morrow, Ron Hayes, Jason Loftus, and Mark Raycroft. Thanks for tuning in. So on today's podcast, we have Drew Hamilton yet again, which is going to be an awesome conversation. And then we got his business partner. Is that proper thing to say? Yeah, it's close enough. Yeah. Business partner, Dave Backrack. And that's the proper way to say that, right? Yes. And you own AK Adventures based in Homer, Alaska. I think everybody now knows Drew's backstory for sure after the last podcast we did with Derek Stoneroff. Let's hear a little bit about your backstory, Dave, and take us, just give us a history and, and some of your background. So that as we go through our conversation on bear viewing in Alaska, people understand where you came from. Thanks. Thanks, Michael, for having me on today. My backstory starts, well, as a kid, you know, um, probably in the high Sierras. I was, you know, raised in Southern California, but I took a lot of uh, um, family vacations into the Sierras. Uh, Yosemite was a place that uh, my parents liked to go on vacation. So they were very formative years for me. So I spent uh, a lot of time around black bears in the summer up there. And then as I grew older, I ventured into to backpacking and camping, did a lot of solo trips, so, um, and even had closer encounters with uh, black bears. And uh, somewhere going through school at one point in time, I was sitting in an assembly and staring at the uh, state flag, trying to understand why we thought so much of an animal to put it on our state flag, which is the California grizzly, and uh, yet hunted it into 
extinction within the state um, due to westward, westward expansion. So, And then I was actually been scouting for a place in Colorado to move pretty much all the 90s and uh, was getting ready to relocate out there and decided I had some time on my hands and I would uh, come up to Alaska for four months and take that big grand Alaska vacation and got to Homer and uh, one of the things on my itinerary there was to go bear viewing. Flew out to Katmai. It was a cold, rainy, windy day. I remember it was, it was in Kukak Bay, and I loved every minute of it. <laughs> <laughs> I got off that I got off that plane, and I just it just all the signals were right. It, it just felt like the place to be for me. Then I went and I traveled around Alaska and came back to Homer. I don't know, maybe a month, month and a half later. And went out again with Chris and Ken Day. We went to a different part. We went to a different part of Katmai where the the salmon had been coming up from Bristol Bay. And it wasn't a cold, rainy day. It was a warm, hot August day. But again, it's that same feeling. I got off that plane and it's like, wow, you know, it's like this is this is where you're supposed to be. So it was shortly after that trip I'd been hanging around Homer and um, stopped in to see Chris and Ken one day after they had done another trip and said, you know, I'm getting ready to move to Colorado, probably winter down there, and but I'm interested in coming up here to guide for the summer. And I said, do you think I could be a guide? And they said, yeah, we think so. And I said, well, I'd like you to be my mentors because I want to get a jump start on this. And her eyes got kind of big and then she looked at me and said yeah we can do that so I went on my way and traveled around and told them I was heading back to Colorado and went back down there and I was down there literally about two weeks had trouble sleeping um just it just wasn't the same after being up here no you know no disrespect for Colorado I still love Colorado but it's Alaska's home Alaska's where I belong one of the big influencing factors on me was that I wanted to be involved in bear conservation, and it's really difficult to be involved with bear conservation in Alaska if you don't live in the state. And once I, once I, once I came to that realization, it was just, I called Chris and said, I need the name of a realtor. I'll be driving up pretty soon. <laughs> that was 2002. And then in 2003, she helped me... Um, find a a gig to to up my bear skills and she stuck me in a deserted lodge for three months out on the alaska peninsula and my job was to walk three quarters of a mile by myself every day and count the bears and anything else that showed up and um i survived that summer so they figured they could probably handle <laughs> myself around bears <laughs> <laughs> trial, by, trial by bear yeah. <laughs> just throw them in see what happens yeah and then in 2004 is when i um i founded ak adventures or started ak adventures and um i didn't want to compete with chris and ken in the day trip kind of business so i started specializing in multi-day and that was kind of the first thing that we did was was doing the multi-day trips and then i and i started to diversify and uh, did multi-day and day and then probably about 2010 2012 we started doing one week boat cruises 
And then after that, 2012 was the first time I was involved in the film production. And I really liked that aspect of it because it gave me what, what I crave, which is more time out with the bears. And so those projects are usually longer and your days in the field are pretty long, but that's, that's why we do it. So now we've got film production, boat cruises, multi-day camping trips, and day trips. So a little something for everybody. Day trips are popular. Um, if you're a photographer, you want that extended field time, so you're usually looking at, at some kind of camping or boat trip. So you and I tied a bunch of dots together because Derek Stoneroff, the guide that, or the, the last, last week's podcast, I was actually on a trip with Derek around that same year of 2002 or two, whatever, whatever we decided it was. And I went out with Ken and Chris. They actually took us out on a multi-day camping situation. And that was the same year, I think, that you were guiding for them or working with them or met, no, met that them. Was my, I think that was, my, um, that was probably when I was doing the day trip. Yes, I, yeah. I just—I was just a tourist at that time. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so we actually the day after you. No, yeah. I think we—I think he—he he talked to Derek out in the field. I and did Derek talk had to Derek. Had been with us. Yeah, because Derek was—I had because I had—I had heard about Derek, and then you know and we're getting off the plane, and it's like, oh yeah, this is Derek, and it's like, oh wow, I always wanted to meet you. <laughs> you know, it's really funny because I had this—I um, was cleaning out a couple of years ago. I was cleaning out a bunch of old stuff, including. VHS tapes. I had this old bear movie on it, and it's like, and I'm, and I threw, you know, I I threw it in, and those things was probably the last thing I watched on a VHS, right? But because you can, you know, download it or on Amazon or get it on Netflix or now or, and and I was watching the credits, right? And it had some, and a lot of it was filmed at McNeil River, and I'm reading the names: Larry Almuller, Colleen Matt, Derek Stoneroff, John Hechtel. Little did I know when I watched that movie for the first time in California that I would actually know all these people. It was it was a pretty amazing revelation. I was like, wow, it's you know, um, kind of came full circle for me. So well, and then the more time you cruise around in Alaska, you realize that Alaska really is just a small town spread over five hundred eighty six thousand square miles. <laughs> You're running into people in airports and King Salmon or Kaktovik or where. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's all coming coming back together. So, Drew, why don't you talk about how you fold into the situation with Dave and how you guys are partners and what you do and how that whole mixture works. Well, so I, uh, you know, I'd been doing private tours before I started working for the Alaska Department of Fish and Game and then did six years at McNeil River. And kind of towards the, uh, the end of that time, I had met Dave through through that and we'd kind of because um, he does a lot of was doing a lot of stuff kind of near McNeil and places like that, and so when I was looking for someone to work with that really had uh, very similar values, very similar ways of of doing things, uh, it just kind of made sense that we should we should team up uh, because you know our skill sets are are. are similar we we love the same things we love the same places and so it just yeah it just made sense that we should be be doing this together and so now um you know trips like this where we actually get to go bear viewing together are are our favorites because you know normally like one person's doing a camping trip one person's and the other's doing a day trip so you you know you might check in over satellite texting device or sat phone or something but to actually go out in the field together is is a special treat so we're really we're really enjoying this one (laughs) So, and the reason I thought it would be good to have you guys on the podcast was we get questions a lot. How do you do a bear trip in Alaska or how do I get there? And 
I think outside looking in, it's just overwhelming. It's like we want to go with a good pilot. We want to go with a good team that can get us out there and have some good experiences. We want people that understand photography. We want people that know that, hey, maybe midday light is not the best. Although in Alaska, you get to rely on clouds a lot and it, it works. But if you if if there's or a Dave's chance, favorite sideways rain. Yeah, sideways <laughs> rain. If there's a chance to go with somebody that gets it, that's that's why I thought talking with you guys would be awesome. And if anybody wants to do a trip like that, maybe we could shed some light on some of those things that you want to look for and what's the best best way to go about planning that trip, both for time of year, what to bring, where to go, all that kind of thing. So if we start there. People who, first off, everybody that comes to Alaska wants to see a bear. You know, whether they whether they say it stated fact or not, like, bear is on everybody's list. And so, you know, even if even if it's just, you know, a bear's butt running across <laughs> the Russian River Trail, when they get home, that's going to be in the first one or two stories stories they tell. And so, and then the more you get into it, um, you really, it's almost a, they're building the relation. The first step is to see a bear. And right. then you start digging into those, well, how do I spend more time with bears? How do I photograph bears? What are, what are the different places where you can see bears? And so it's, I think, at least initially for folks, it just gets thrown out there first as see a bear. And then all these, when, when you realize it, you know, we, we look at, you know, we, we view bears all summer and then I know, I'm speaking for Dave a little bit here, what do you do in the winter? You get on the internet, look at bear pictures. <laughs> you compare all the oh i know where that is oh i recognize that rock or, or whatever so you get to to break it down into uh much more uh kind of oh we'd like to see that behavior or, or things like that so that's that's kind of how it starts from just first step find a bear and then you can figure out all the so it means they're going to have to come more than once or well, plan, plan a long enough trip where they yeah. can have multiple experiences <laughs> Right, because you know, depending on when you come is going to depend on the on the on the behavior that you're going to to see and photograph. It's very different in in late May and early June versus um, middle of middle of August. I mean, we move around during the summer just like the bears move around. So we kind of follow them. You know, we follow them from sedge meadows and mating behavior in late May and early June to where they're out fishing for Bristol Bay salmon in in August, when they're getting ready to spawn. So. It, Drew mentioned it too. It's like we look at photos of you know one of one of the the neatest things for me and and is is to see a, an amazing photo that a client took. It, one, it's always going to be in their head, but people like you know it's like well let me show you my photo. It's like no, I want to see it because it's like yeah, it's like I want people to get good photos and I want people to have an experience and that kind of gets back to the how do you pick a bear viewing operator? What's important? So I learned old school. I have my manners. It's 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 evolved somewhat to with with some other operations because money's involved. But we subscribe to the principle: you have the pilot and you have the guide, and that's how we run all our day trips. There's some some of the newer companies that have come along. They've they've decided that the pilot can also be the guide. We just we just think that we need a professional pilot and a professional guide nat slash naturalist to, to get the best experience. Because I guarantee you, 
our pilot, he just laughs when we start talking about camera stuff. <laughs> 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 and it, it's a running joke on the, on the float plane dock. So that's, that's one of the things. Both Drew and I, highly, uh, highly skilled in, in, in photography, but we're also more skilled in, in bear behavior, which, which helps you get a better photo. And I, I think, uh, I think it was Moose Peterson that one, uh, said that, uh, understanding behavior gives you you know one to two hundred millimeters extra focal length <laughs> oh that's, that's a good one yeah, yeah that like is a that. good one yeah well and so when people are, are looking to you know we, we get these questions all the time where people say so what's it take to come see bears my first question back to that person is what type of behavior do you want to see or or like when are you coming if you've got a set you know oh we have to do it when the kids aren't in school or, or whatever, um, you know, we'll look at time frame. But, but really, like, if you're, if you're picking your time, it comes down to what type of behavior you want to see. And if somebody says, oh, I want to see the, the cute little cubs when they're at their absolute tiniest, you know, then you, we'd look at kind of that, that June time frame. Uh, or, you know, if somebody wants to see bears fishing, you know, that's generally going to be later, mid to late summer. Uh, or, you know, now it's, it's come up, people want to see the, the fat bears of Katmai Park. And so, you know, that's going to be right at the end as you get into September on towards October. And that time of year, the bear viewing is getting better, and the we- but the weather is diminishing, and there's a point where, <laughs> where those two cross, and, and your odds of making it out in the plane are you just end up standing at the dock waiting for the weather to clear and things like that. Well, so I think that's something to talk about season. too, right? Because that factors into your bear viewing experience. But but before we go there, so let's say that somebody says July is my time frame. Do they just call you guys and you say these are the spots or these are the opportunities? Yeah. I mean, basically, you know, we our, our website is gocbears.com. That's a, that's AK Adventures website, and you just fill out the contact information and say when you want. Tell us what you, what you want to see and when you're available, and we'll tell you what you can see and what we have available. <laughs> Typically in July, that second half is going to be more focused on fishing. First half is still going to be just wrapping up kind of the the sedge meadows and the mating season. And What's the number one request? that you guys get as far as I want to see this behavior? It depends on, it depends on who's asking. So I, and in fact, I actually, I don't know, I was talking to somebody about this recently and I'm not sure who, but it's like, it predominantly breaks down by the sex of the viewer. Guys want to see the big burly male bears and the women photographers or just women clients in general, they want to see the cute cubs. And, and my position has been when we talk to the park and we talk to the state about bear conservations our industry needs all ages and sexes well represented for us to give a high quality experience going and seeing a bunch of juvenile bears playing and romping around in a meadow is awesome like i said the the clients have an expectation that we'd like to see big male bears down to little spring cups now do we see all that every day no it's nature. Um, it's not. It's not an amusement park. We do, we do the best we can. You're going to see more big males typically early June and and in, in into August when they're when they're fishing. And then you know in between it's just a whole whole variety. You don't see a lot of little cubs at the beginning of mating season because mom mom keeps them pretty sequestered away. How long did it take you guys to find all those cool spots? I mean, we've talked about it 
on this trip that we've been on where there's such a vast area and there's even some areas that probably are not totally explored for photography reasons or for trip reasons how did you find the spots that you're going to now and and give us a a, an idea of what those spots are not location wise but behavior wise some of it was was through my mentorship with with uh, Chris and Ken, and then also Derek. I mean, they they all had a long history. Ken was before bear viewing was flying for sport fishing lodges and things like that, so he knew the country. I mean, you you can't go into a, a creek where they're fishing for those prize rainbow trouts and not see bears along them. We just instead of looking for fish, we decided we were going to focus on bears. And so we, we knew about when they'd be where. We've all been doing it. You know, Drew and I have been doing this for, you know, we've each been doing this for about 20 years. Derek's been doing it 40 or 50. And Ken and Chris, they're retired. But we're talking a lot of, a lot of years of following bears around. So we've got a pretty extensive, you know, history and, and, and network. And that's kind of how we find them. Um, but like I say, you know, it's like we know in the spring they're going to be in the big sedge meadows or the sedge meadows. And we know the biggest one is Hallow Bay. And anybody that's seen a bear movie on TV probably has seen footage of Do- Hallow Bay. I've never, I don't think there's not been a summer that there hasn't <laughs> been a film crew out there. Um, and then there's other places where they're closely guarded secrets and just like the one we're in now. I mean, this is... You've already said too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one where I got dropped off and lived one summer. <laughs> I don't even talk about it. And I would have to say most of that's for the bears, right? It it's is not, all for the bears. It's because not being selfish and not wanting to share. It's like you just don't want to overrun these bears. You can't. You could love them to death. We, we as, as humans need to be mindful of in biological terms, we always talk about carrying capacity, carrying capacity of, of 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 an area. Like how many bear or moose or wolves can this area support? Well, as a, as a species in operating tours, we also have to be mindful. What's our human carrying capacity? Can the bears take that pressure? Because we're only here because they allow us to be, and they allow us to view them and photograph them and film them. If we abuse that, they'll go away. There was a period of time not that long ago where we thought the pressure in Hallow Bay was a little bit too much because the bear numbers were, were kind of dropping, and, and or at least the viewable bears were dropping. I'm not going to say the bears were dropping, but the, v- the viewable bears, we the guys kind of noticed, like, eh, we're not seeing as many as we used to. I'm vice president of an organization called Cat My Service Providers, and we're a, um, basically, uh, everybody that operates in Cat My has to have a commercial s- permit. And so we have our little trade organization, and it's sport fishing, bear viewing, are the two main entities that comprise of this group and there's you know there's probably about a hundred total permit holders and 85 percent of those are belong to this trade organization so the bear viewing group got their little subcommittee together and said okay how are we going to make hollow bay better and we put together it's like okay here's where we're going to go here's the trails we're going to use here's the best viewing spots within the meadows let's try to stick to these and see if we can make things more more comfortable and we did that it seemed to help the bear numbers seemed to be a little bit better i mean there was one part where we'd stay off there's one meadow we just like okay we're just going to leave this one for the bears and we got we're tromping on enough stuff so let's just leave this back section here for the bears 
um, because sometimes you get males that are, are shyer. They don't want to be around people, but, you know, we want them to have a chance to, to eat and mate and be a bear. So, And then a few years after that, then we, we looked at it and said, okay, this industry is evolving. There used to be a time I could go out there and I could tell you every bear guide by name. I can't anymore. There's, you know, it's, it's grown, it's evolved as an, and matured as an industry. So it's like, what do we do next? All right. So the group, there's about four or five of us over the course of a couple of winters, we put together an online guide certification program for bear viewing. So, and that's an evolving thing. We wrote it. It talks about cat mind, it talks about bears, it talks about how you behave around bears. So hopefully we're giving new people coming into this business a baseline to operate from. It's not going to make them an expert, but it's going to give them it's going to give them all the ground rules that they need to to get going and if they follow them and and ask questions which we all do um, amongst each other, hopefully it'll it'll help the industry be better and and be easier on the bears ultimately because that's what it's all about. Well, and it is to the point. I mean, this this industry is maturing and you can you can see that in in the the tourist economy of South Central Alaska, and we you know we live in Homer, which is the uh, self-proclaimed halibut capital of the world, right? It says it right <laughs> on the sign as you're coming into town. And if you look at our uh, our visitor guides, going back for 20 years, you know there's a certain point where it's it was always you know somebody with a barn door halibut on the cover. It was like fish, 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 bald eagle, fish, and then. The bears started to trickle into the the cover of the, you know, the visitor's guide, and so now to, we're to the point where, uh, you know, bear viewing is a major player in the economy of the 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 diversified tourist economy of South Central Alaska, and we're providing jobs, we're generating money for the economy. I forget the numbers now when it, when the pressure's on. Hundreds of jobs, $40 million a year in South Central Alaska. And when they were looking at it, 70% of that money stays in, in South Central Alaska. So it is money that's getting used for mortgages and groceries and, and things like that. And, and people can, can build a lifestyle around offering these bear tours kind of thing. And, well, I know <laughs> I have, and, and I'm not the only one that, that's able to do that. And it's really, uh, it's really great that we're we're constantly improving like that what is the best how would you define the best bear viewing trip so let's say a photographer wants to go out they've got what i guess that's a good thing should they plan on five days should they plan on seven days obviously the more the better of course but let's just say we've got a professional that has a five-day trip how how do you plan that and what would you do i mean would you do a, a couple of overnights and then maybe a couple of day trips just to try to maximize your your trip you go first on that one or, dave and then i'll i'll see if i agree <laughs> <laughs> yeah typically for photography yeah we're talking a minimum a minimum of a three night trip four night five day trip and it also depends on what you want to see you could throw an extra day trip in there i have some clients that actually go and front end or back end uh their other trips with the with one of the our photography trips because they want something special that the other places that they're going cannot offer because they're not they're not mobile they can't move a, a base camp they can't move a lodge we can the other thing just is if we're out if we're along the coast and we're on a boat got access to multiple bays and multiple locations so that's one benefit we have over over 
a, a lodge-based operation. Day trips are good for the right person. You can hit it, and man, you can get National Geographic moments in an afternoon or on a day. I mean, our day trips take all day, but, you know, we're out there on the ground for about four hours with the bears, and, and it, they go really fast. To, to this day, for me, they go really fast. So I know how fast they go for the clients. It's like, wow, we've been here 20 minutes? No, it's like we've been here four hours. It's time to go back to the plane. My guess is, is unless there's something... They want to see something that we're not doing on the multi-day trip. I would actually just kind of pass on the day trip. Um, I would just stick with the multi-day itinerary, figure out what you want to see. We'll help you with that. We'll help you figure out what lenses you, you want to bring. Typically, you can do one of our trips with no more than three lenses. So there, I think there are kind of a couple of ways to think of that, that we have the flexibility to accommodate. One is for people that are, whether they want to hit a bunch of different locations on a, on a boat-style trip. Or I've taken a, well, I mean, Dave Sanford and Graham Purdy, they've, well, Dave's been on the podcast. When we went out, we we spent basically a week in a 200-yard stretch of river. Like, there was, we were looking for very specific things and not leaving until that is accomplished. So it's it's kind of what is, what is their, their workflow style, um, what are their goals, um, whether they have a shot list, things like that. And so... We've got a lot of flexibility in helping people achieve those specific photographic goals. Uh, whether they're on assignment, we can do that. <laughs> you know, it's it, everybody's got a little different photographic need. Uh, but for just a, a general cover, little of this, little of that, different locations, I mean, you can do that in a five to seven day boat trip on the coast and hit a bunch of different spots. Or if you're looking for that one iconic shot that's going to be you know a limited edition 100 prints whatever we we can we can find you a spot for that too yeah and i guess that's the that's the other thing is we do cater to different levels of photographers like this one trip drew just mentioned is like those were two professional photographers and they had some very specific goals that they that they wanted to achieve we've done that a couple years ago i had a major camera manufacturer was out you know they wanted to shoot their their calendar for you know it was two years ahead of the calendar but drew and i worked with them uh, to to get the shots and it and it wasn't just bears so we did a variety of things so that's the other thing too it's like what else can you do in alaska because i know on that shoot we did moose we did sea otters oh yeah and we did bears too i need to tell my version of that story <laughs> oh well we tried no. oh, go ahead. Yeah, okay <laughs> so he comes over and you know, how long was the total trip? A couple weeks? A couple weeks. And so he was here for a couple weeks. And, and you know, he's got the shot list. They're doing a calendar or whatever. And, and he goes out with Dave for the first few days and basically gets everything. Like, <laughs> like got baby moose, baby sandhill cranes, bears, all this stuff, all with Dave. And then it's my turn to take him out. And I say, okay, what, 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 what should we go look for today? And he says, how about squirrels <laughs> and here i am some fancy pants bear guide <laughs> and i'm running around homer with this guy trying to find I'm texting all my friends hey do you have squirrels in your yard and everybody's <laughs> like yeah and we couldn't find a squirrel to save our life and so finally i so i live up on the hill in homer and uh you've been there and little trees it's good squirrel habitat so frankly we went up to my house <laughs> and sat in the trees and i forgot to tell julie 
that uh, there were going to be a couple of people sitting in lawn chairs in our yard. So she gets up in the morning drinking coffee on the porch, dogs running around, and he's trying to shoot squirrels in the tree. I don't think I, I failed. Uh, that was an epic <laughs> fail on my, my squirrel squirrel hunt. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so Dave got all the good stuff, and I guess the moral of the story is don't ask me about squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked about boat based trips and we also talked about like a, a land-based trip let's talk about the differences there because with a boat that gives you some flexibility if you get to a good place and it's good you can stay but if you get to a place and it's like ah there's probably more activity on this other creek where the salmon are running or you've got that flexibility to move as opposed to a land-based trip you don't have flexibility to move as much but you do have you're you're going to a really pretty good location anyway just talk about that a little bit so that people know exactly what to, you know, if they're like, I guess both of those could be fishing. Both of those could be um, mating or sedge flats or mamas and babies. But just what what do you guys prefer and what is the, I what prefer was, what's the ultimate one, trip? Well, I prefer anyone that's got bears on it. Uh, <laughs> like I, I concur. I, uh, you know, there's, I, one of the questions we always get is what's the best place and i'm i'm a firm believer there is no best like you can't you can't compare experiences against each other because everyone is so unique and really on on i do i do enjoy the the boat trips where you do get to see a a variety you know hitting hitting a few different bays and things like that and you know these mountains that we're we're looking at they're they're nothing to a bear i mean there there are trips i've had that you know you'll see the same bear as you pop down in these different bay. oh there's so-and-so we just saw him one bay up and he just crossed over and you're just kind of on the dumb luck same same migration same pattern. cycle yeah as that as that bear and i think for uh guests they really find that enjoyable as well because like you spend time and you realize just how varied each each bay has its own it's ha- has its own culture of bears. It has its own mountains. It has some of them have glaciers, waterfalls. I mean, you could develop a whole portfolio of bears in a in a single week on on a boat trip on the coast. Uh, if you hit it right and you're you know you get you know it takes some stars to line up weather and things like that. And that's the other uh, advantage a boat trip has over. Uh, you know, a camping trip is <laughs> it is awfully nice when that when Dave's favorite sideways rain is uh, is coming in to be able to you know have a cup of coffee or six in the in the galley. <laughs> As an example, yesterday when our day started off with rain, and it wasn't sideways rain per se, but we had a fair amount of rain, and we just kind of hung in the galley, drank some coffee, and then all of a sudden the rain stopped and. And we just made a, a, a later long day out of it. So you have that option. I guess what it comes down to is it's it's amenities. So if you've never camped before, I don't recommend the camping trip. Camping in Alaska is not where you want to cut your teeth on camping. The boat trip has amenities. You can be more comfortable on a longer trip. You know, usually the boat trips are about six nights, seven days. Whereas a camping trip, it's anywhere from three to five, typically. If it's your first Alaska photographic experience for bears and you don't have any camping experience, try the boat. We get people that are well-seasoned campers, not an issue, hardcore photographers. They get it. And the camp, the camping is, the base camp, camping is fine. Because, you know, we leave camp in the morning, we take our lunch with us, and we come back. The sun's getting ready to set. 
and then we start all over in the, again in the morning with an early breakfast, make our lunches, and we're out again. You won't be getting a shower out there unless it's, unless it's in, from the rain. So you have to think about what your, your, your creature comfort needs are. And it's hard to dry out, and it's hard to charge batteries. And so if you're a video person like I am. <laughs> the video guy always goes back to the batteries. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's how do you charge out there? I mean, so I can maybe do two days with bring enough batteries, but then you're dealing with weight, right? So if you're flying to go camping somewhere, do you have to pay for two planes? Because you have so much weight just in batteries and that sort of thing if you don't have charging capability out in the field. So uh, for me, the boat is always a better scenario. But day trips end up being a better scenario for if I'm shooting video but the thing I hate about day trips is you're just stuck in the middle of the day. You know, just it's just the nature of the beast. You get up, you go to the float plane dock or the or the wheeled strip dock and or what um strip, fly there, get there what nine, ten, eleven, stay for three or four hours, and then it's time to come back. And it can be really good if it's cloudy, but if you got a bright sunny day, it's it's not so good. And that and that general tourism market where, you know, we got everybody from uh, iPhone iPhone photographers to people like you that are shooting with advanced camera systems for, for video. So that's kind of the general market. I mean, we get a lot of trips that the main camera is now an iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> and they're getting good stuff. That's and, the thing. You know, you, you look over somebody's shoulder and you're like, oh, dang, they're just doing that with their phone. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think we could talk about that, too, because we talked about some of that with Derek on the last podcast. But you guys are taking us to places where you know the situation, you know the bears, you know the the climate of the situation, right? So you will know, you can get within, what's what's the average distances that people are looking at? You talked earlier about, well, we think you can do this with three different lenses. We could be talking, what? 20, 25 yards to 100 yards as your average distance all day long, right? Which is totally achievable with an iPhone when you're at the closer distances. So how it works in Katmai, and we'll talk about Katmai because the majority of, of where we go is Katmai. And and we're pretty Katmai exclusive in our bear viewing trips. There's other operations based out of Homer. We'll take you either to Lake Clark or to Katmai. Nothing against Lake Clark. We prefer Katmai. The rule of thumb is, it's not the rule of thumb, it is the regulation. You're not supposed to approach bears closer than 50 yards. But the bear can approach you. So we take out small groups. Our, tr- our group size on a day trip is four to six people. Small groups and day trips work well because you can sit, you can be a small, you know, bear. everything in a bear's world is driven by size and so four or five people can get be really small and make a bear feel really comfortable. So it's possible you can be out in the sedge meadows in Hallow Bay, be sitting on the edge of a sedge meadow, and have a bear come up within 20, 30 feet of you. I mean, it's, it's not uncommon as long as you guys listen to what Drew and I have to say and, and don't fidget and don't move around a lot because that's the other thing about bears is they communicate through body language with each other, and they're always watching ours. And sometimes they can't interpret what we're saying, and they stay away. (laughs) They just get this wall of communication coming at them, and it's like, okay, I'll just stay back a little bit. And one of the – we've always – we would joke around at McNeil River. um, We called it uh, wedding photographer syndrome. 
that some some photographers get when they get out there with the you know they're wanting to bop around and get 20 different angles on this one bear when in reality the way you do it is you pick your spot you sit there you commit to it and then it's up to the bear to decide what it wants to give you kind of thing it's 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 you get much more natural shots that way it's not like the bear's flinching or always watching you or things like that it's just if you can let that bear be as natural as possible then the proximity kind of takes care of itself like they're just a bear being a bear that wants to graze on that yummy sedge right it doesn't look yummy actually i don't know how they eat that stuff but but yeah the the proximity takes care of itself if you are well behaved and I, i think there's a lot of disconnect that people don't realize how much influence we as humans have over either proximity or bear behavior or things like that. And so, you know, just quiet, cool. We were talking, talking about this the other day, how, you know, bears move slow. So you kind of match their pace. Bears lumber. So we lumber around the meadow, nothing. There's no reason to move fast unless, <laughs> unless that tide's coming in. <laughs> That's the, the only reason to hurry is if you're trying to beat the tide. And, and you don't want it to go over the hip boots of the clients. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All the, you know, on the day trips, we give people hip boots and they're all waterproof except for the big hole in the top. And uh, <laughs> so we try to <laughs> keep our, keep our, uh, our our depths appropriate for that but well let's give a little insider information this is kind of like a little rabbit hole but let's talk about preparation because drew and i were working on a little project what a couple of weeks ago and we both have everything we have chest waders with regular we're professionals professional gear right and we have hip boots and we have all this stuff and i called drew and i said so what do we need down there and he's like oh we just need hip boots and they have them on the plane, and I'm thinking, or they have them at the place where we're going, and and we both thought, oh, that'd be perfect. We'll just that way, it's less stuff for us to carry. We'll just go down there. Well, we tromped around for what twelve thousand steps or something we saw on our phone that day, and we were wearing these cheesy little hip boots that they provide, which is fine. It's totally adequate. We stayed dry, but for comfort, no fly zone. No fly, no. <laughs> so my recommendation is, if you're gonna do this sort of a trip talk with you guys and do think about bringing some of this better gear don't rely on cheap plastic rain gear don't rely on cheap plastic hip boots is that the kind of stuff if somebody calls and wants to talk to you or send you an email or whatever you guys will say look this is the situation this is the place we're going we want you to be as comfortable as possible because if you're comfortable you're going to get better images you're going to be worried about your images and not how your feet hurt or how wet you got or that sort of thing. What sort of information do you guys provide? We have two lists on the website. One is a list of what to bring for day trips, and one's a list of what to bring for multi-day trips. Day trips, we provide everybody hip boots, and that's just the standard thing. We cover about anywhere from three to five miles in a, in a, in a day trip. It just depends on the proximity of the bears. Sometimes, sometimes it actually can be less when the bears are really good to us. Um, and then sometimes they make us work for it a little bit more. But the biggest thing I can tell you about, because most of the time I wear chest waders now, but especially for day trips, just helping the pilot with the float plane, it's it's um, it's just a lot easier. I don't have to look and see if I'm going to top out on my boots <laughs> <laughs> and the water's going to go down inside. So, But what I always tell people, there's two things with hip boots. One, wear regular length socks, the ankle socks, 
they will slip down below your ankles, and that's not a comfortable feel. And the other thing is, is if you have, if you wear like super feet or you have super feet, bring them, put them. They make all the difference in the world in in hip boots, and it's not like it's a super feet commercial. It's just that's what I happen to use in my hiking boots, and I use them in my hip boots too. So, um, but basically, any insole out of your hiking boot will do. So just something to make it a little more comfortable, get a little more arch support and things like that. We try to get decent hip boots, but they're basically tall rubber boots. <laughs> <laughs> I, if somebody's got a pair that they, they like and they use regularly and, and know, like, I I always feel people are more comfortable in their own gear. But just know that, you know, if you're if you're doing a day trip, like, you don't need to go buy a pair of hip boots just for, because then they're going to sit in your garage and... Yeah, or you're going to donate them to us. <laughs> donate them to us. We, we do get a lot, but uh, but we we do endeavor to get uh, higher quality hip boots than the ones you and I experienced. Uh, that's yeah. probably why I recommended because I was picturing our hip boots. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, it was not it pretty was not. sight, <laughs> and it was not a pretty feel. And then when we talk to people on the multi day trips, there's a lot of them. You know, a lot of the these photographers they have chest waders or they're fly fishermen. It's like if you have it bring it or if you want to buy something we can give you we can tell you a couple inexpensive choices to buy we've figured out our solution to to that is we we have a favorite brand of of fly fishing boot that we like which are kind of on the pricier end but they work with really inexpensive chest waders (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) and it's your footwear it's so important and i think let's talk about that we talked we touched on it earlier but the differences between a boat trip and a camping or day trip the boat trips are awesome because you're not really limited on weight as opposed to flying where you know and then also if people are coming up from the lower 48 or anywhere in the world it is kind of a pain in the butt to fly with waders because you're consuming part of your luggage that is could be for other camera gear or clothes or something and you've got this big old wad of waders in there so I don't know. There's no easy answer, but if you can deal with the extra weight, bringing your waders or space, your waders, your own personal gear is way better in all situations. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. I hit that on the head. Well, and then in terms of, of camera gear and things like that, camera gear is getting smaller, and that's really been kind of a, a, a blessing in the, the stuff that we do, whether, whether it's day trips and fitting in the plane or whether it's because, you know, a lot of these places, there aren't trails, really. I mean, we're using bear trails. We're walking in rivers and, and things like that. And I always think if somebody's going to bring one setup on a bear viewing trip, it's going to be that one to 400 let. It's just so, so versatile. Uh, it's portable. You can hand hold it, things like that. When you start to get getting into the, oh, I, I've got this big lens that try, well, you're going to have to drag it over logs, in and out of boats, through you know, walking through a quarter mile of low tide to get out to where the skiff can pick you up kind of thing. Just the more more portable uh, you can be on that. Like I, I, I don't even know the last time I used, well, I don't know the last time I used a tripod for wildlife. You know, it's all, it's all handheld kind of stuff these days. And and think about that when you're when you're packing for a trip like that. His space is, all these new lenses that they're coming out with. Like we were talking to Ray and He's showing off all his smaller and smaller and smaller lenses, and it's just so crazy that just even from five years ago, like what the the, the weights are dropping, the size is dropping, and how do you use that to your advantage in these 
you know, tight little spots like we're in now. Like it's it's so fantastic. And you can bring people out and they can have that reach and not have to get a hernia to get And <laughs> to not have to the, carry a 12-pound 600 F4. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think you guys hit the nail on the head. If I was going to do this trip, knowing what I know now, and if I was just shooting stills, I would do exactly that. I would bring a 100 to 400. I'd bring one body, maybe two if it was really rainy and you th- had thought something might go down. But you just have one in your bag every day, right? One, one camera body. I just have one camera body and one lens. Yep. And it's... That's yeah. exactly what I... I might throw in like a 24 to 70 or a 24 to 105 just to have... Because that. they're small and you can yeah. fit them in now. And you could throw <laughs> it in your fanny pack or a backpack that, or whatever. And that's what I can... I have a 24 to 105 and a 100 to 400. So I can go 24 to 400. And that's all you need. For, for where you guys are putting us in the situations where you've got the bears in the right... I mean, we are not encroaching on the bears at all, and you're still getting full-frame shots yeah. with and that range. And when I say it, th- you know, I talked earlier about having a three-lens set, set up. There's there's some photographers, they have their specialty lens, and they want to bring that to whether, you know, and there's some people that shoot, you know, they have their 500 F4, and they're committed to that, and, yeah. um, or their 600, and, and, and that's fine. If, you know, if they're going on a multi-day trip and they want to bring it, great, but you can do this with, two lenses and still have a great experience actually your back will have a much better experience you can do it with your iphone and still have yeah. a great experience i think if you're on your boat bring your 500 f4 if you're not on a boat there's no reason i mean you guys are putting like i said you're putting us in the best spots wherever you're taking us whatever the behavior is it's going to be awesome the one other thing about that that i wanted just from my perspective as a as a photographer when i go out with you guys i do not worry about safety at all I know that you guys have my back, sides, everything. I can focus 100% on the pictures. I don't have to pay attention if there's a bear coming around the corner that I can't see. Or if there's a, I don't know. A lot of times I'll have a, my eyes in the viewfinder all the time working on something. And I'll just hear one of you say, hey, um, we got a bear coming around back behind us. You're fine, but I just want to let you know. And you guys got our, our six, right? I don't carry bear spray. I don't carry flares. I don't, you guys do that. And that is what is awesome about going out. And I I would assume that's across the board with all these, these guides, but going out with you guys and you also understanding the behavior is so important, but for safety. I think when, uh, you know, people say, oh, you want an experienced guide, um, to put you in these positions or put you in these situations. But in a lot of ways, the value of an experienced guide is to know what situations not to be in and when you should just walk away kind of thing. And and being able to anticipate or, like, you know, you know the bears. You say, oh, you know, this, this bear needs a little more room. We're going to back up, things like that. And so it's it's avoiding problems before they come up it's it's i I think of it as the the ounce of prevention equals a pound of cure kind of thing and so if you can uh, again we're endeavoring to make the the experiences natural not just for the humans but for the bears and like knowing what situations could potentially become or things like that or if you see you know a fight brewing or you know you can just just extract yourself or just go up on the bluff and watch from a, a landscape scale and things like that and um you know you hire a guide to you don't hire a guide to take you somewhere you hire a guide to bring you back 
Like that's our, our job's not home. Not our job's not done until we, you know, get back to Homer and everybody's safe and sound. And 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 the other thing that comes with that is recognizing what the risks actually are. And you know, you're on a bear trip. Ooh, brown bears, grizzly bears. They're dangerous, right? Well, no. They're the least dangerous thing <laughs> on our day trips. You know, if if, if somebody's going to get injured, it's going to be not paying attention as they're getting off the float plane or, or uh, tripping over a log or falling on a rocks. And so, you know, I find, you know, the, we do bear mitigation, but most of the mitigation and safety efforts we're, we're making are when we're just walking through the landscape and being like, oh, don't step in that hole. I f- I'm walking out front. So if I fall down, <laughs> you don't step there. You will be fine. <laughs> Part of the orientation, especially if we're going out to Hallow Bay where there's a lot of driftwood that's been washed up on the tides. Like I tell them, the most dangerous thing out there is the driftwood. Just be careful when you're stepping over it because it's not stable. It <laughs> moves. It will, if you let it, it will take your ankle and suck it in there. <laughs> <laughs> the normal things that can happen on, on, on any hike in, in any part of the country, you know, ankle sprains, you know, twisted knees, something like that. So those are the things that, you know, it's, 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 it's not the bears that, the, the bears are going to be bears, but it's, it's the things that happen in everyday outdoor excursions that uh, are the things that we're, we're really watching out for. I like Dave going out with Dave because you'll be walking towards something. He's like, you sure you want to go over that log? <laughs> are you sure you're not too close to that that edge there <laughs> oh yeah he busted you the yeah, other day he's like ah, you're making me nervous why don't you back up a little bit and we it's much appreciated because you do get focused and you're like i just want to get this one shot and you know you just don't want to do something stupid that you might do when you're on your own I, I have a question for dave uh so what's your favorite bear experience you've had uh all these decades that's going funny because that was going to be my next <laughs> oh, my favorite well i never get to ask him yeah, this kind of exactly. stuff so god you know only one <laughs> well we're, we're, we have a yeah, time what's limit, that so one what's, what's that thing that you tell people that when somebody says what do you do and what have you seen what's that one thing that here's one and and, and it's and it's different, and I haven't shared this one with a lot of people. And actually, and and it's and so now it's, it's just start with thousands of people on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it was actually it was um, it was on a film shoot, and we were in the same location we were here, and we were waiting for the salmon run and waiting for the salmon run. And it was getting later and later, and and the salmon weren't coming that day, and we were sitting where we normally would sit for that shoot and these bears had filmed filled in all around us so it was like people and then this semicircle of bears and now it's and and they've been all sitting up and they're waiting and they're waiting and finally they just all kind of laid down and went to sleep and here we are sitting in the middle of all these sleeping bears and now it's 11:30 and we're going to try to go back to the boat <laughs> And so we just all, I mean, and it's, it's film crew. So, you know, there's a couple of big cameras and we managed to do it. I think maybe we had one bear pick up its head and look at us and we just all kind of all backtracked up the bluff and went down to another cove and got back to the boat. But it was, it was, I guess it was that trust that was the most, you know, it's like they, they trusted that we weren't going to bother them. They could stay asleep or, you know, resting and just know that we were just going to move in and out and just, and, 
And I guess that's probably the most remarkable thing about bears. If you know, if if you're if you're easy on them and and respect them, it's like they'll respect you back. And and you know, they they like us to be predictable humans. And and when we do that, we get rewarded with some amazing experiences. And I will say, you guys set that precedent everywhere we go. You know, it's it's like okay, this is the spot, or these are the spots. We can go here, here, here. We know this is the bear to dig it. We dig it. You're going to get good images, but it's a safe spot for us and the bears, and it's it's brilliant. What's your experience, Drew? Uh, you know, I asked that question, and then quick, I've been, I didn't even <laughs> listen to what he was saying. I was <laughs> racking my brain because I knew it was going to come my way next. And, um, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, particularly people that are new to bear viewing, a lot of it revolves around numbers. and Like, oh, how many how many bears did we see? And I spent you know, six summers for fish and game counting bears and kind of said, oh, I'm never going to count bears again. And it's all just the experience. And, um, but you know, I have had experiences at McNeil river and I always, you know, we, we offer our tours, but I always put a plug in for McNeil river as, as one of the best places it's, you know, there are no commercial operations in there. Um, it's managed by Alaska department of fish and game. I'm, I've got no stake in it. I'm not getting anything by endorsing McNeil river, but you know, for, for students of bears, just go to McNeil River, learn the behaviors. They've got great long-term folks there that know their stuff and um, can learn so much. And just being there, whether there's one bear or 80 bears, uh, put everybody should have that on their bucket list. But my, my personal favorite, and I've worked at a bunch of different lodges and camps and things around, but one of the most magical bear experiences I had was just a single bear and it was a super foggy morning, and I just had one guest, and we went out in our little John boat and uh, followed the the airplanes couldn't make it in that day, so it was, you know, the world was ours. Like <laughs> we had this whole place to ourselves, and uh, we we worked our way around, and we we're sitting in this cove, and it's foggy, you can barely see the shore, and then this very familiar bear just emerges from the fog, and um, and she came down to the lake. She left her cubs on the shore. And uh, came and, and was waiting. Uh, she'd go down underwater and look for fish or carcasses or whatever, and then she'd come up and the water's just dripping off. And it was it was almost like the fog. You were in your own little room with this bear, and she was just not even looking at us, just doing her thing like we weren't even there. And it was just it was it was it was it was magical. And you know, um, it's hard to compare bear experiences because everything is different everything is magical in its own way but that's one that stands out in my mind as just uh top of the heap i would say i gotta say for me it's seeing a salmon run and then the all of the bear behavior that mixes around that because if it's a good run and if there's several bears it doesn't need to be hundreds of bears it just needs to be four or five or six you get to witness four or five or six different ways to catch fish, <laughs> right? And just to, and it and it evolves over the course of a run where it starts where they're just going gangbusters and running after these fish that are almost impossible to catch to the point when they're actually running where a bear just walks to the edge of the <laughs> the edge of a creek and sticks its snout down in the water and brings a fish up. So, for me, if, if you can time a trip. And it's hard because there's no guarantees. There's no set, oh, on July 17th, 
at 4 p.m. these fish are going to run. That just doesn't happen. You just it's a it's just a whole weather timing nature kind of thing. But if you could be out there at those times, it's pretty special. I think the only one that can predict the exact time like that that I've run into is John Rogers. <laughs> I don't know how that guy does it. He just knows. <laughs> and we mentioned him in the other podcast, and he is just kind of a. Well, he's been doing it for he's a long, doing it for a long, long time. time. So you know, you keep your logs, you keep your journals, and it's like, it's like, yeah, you look through there, it's like, yeah, they pretty much show up. On, or you, you can know, just ask John. August twenty, <laughs> or you can just ask John. You know, that's how, how do we find bears? Yeah, we we have a, we have an extensive network of people of people that we talk to. So. Yeah, there was one time I was I was sweating a little bit. I was like, oh, the bear, the I in my mind the fish had were supposed to be in this this bay, and we were checking it out and. Um, and uh, so I, I don't know. I was like, "Oh, where, where are these fish?" And John just said, "Oh, they'll be here on X day." And then, sure enough, when you get up that morning, and then you know the fish are starting to come into the lagoon and things like that. But you, you know, like when people say, "Oh, I want to go watch bears," and the salmon play such an important part. Of that, and then I think anybody that's been lucky enough to get out uh, on a bear viewing trip, because I don't know of anybody that offers. Well, I guess fishing trips are kind of salmon viewing <laughs> trips, but to be able to sit there in a place where one salmon runs still exist, you know, there's so many places their their ranges have been diminished, and you think of the epic runs that have been lost, you know, all of California all the way up, and and we're really uh, the last great salmon stronghold and just to be out there and realize what the salmon mean the power behind watching a run and it's 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 an intact system that you're looking at and you don't even realize how rare or special that is until you see it and you're like holy cow and you're you're, you're looking at <laughs> so we're, we happen to be luckily located where the runs we're watching are the fish coming right out of the ocean right now and like this is the transit. This is all that energy coming from the salt water, from the Gulf of Alaska, from the North Pacific. They've been gathering up all this energy and they're transporting it up into the terrestrial ecosystem. And so they are the conduit between marine and terrestrial. And like at the end of a trip, you, you know, you usually ask, oh, what was the highlight? And it's amazing how much salmon gets mentioned as like one of the coolest things that people, I mean, we've just seen amazing bears do amazing things and a salmon run holds its own against the most amazing bear behavior out there kind of thing. Well, the most amazing bear behavior is related to the salmon. Exactly. And I think so that's it. It just all comes together. You know, one of the things you, we you touched upon, um, and it's a question I, I get when we get inquiries too, it's like, um, how many bears are we going to see? And I always tell people it's not about quantity, it's about quality. I said 40 bears that are, are a mile away that I have to watch in binoculars is not the same experience that if one or two bears that will hang with you for an afternoon. It's just a whole whole different, different level of intimacy. So um, I, I, you, you said it, you, you can just watch a couple bears. And, and if you're fortunate, like I said, they hang around with you all, you know, the whole time you're there or salmon runs going on, it's... it's it, the numbers are all relevant because your 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 focus gets down to just what's going on right right in front of you, and um, so it, you don't have to have a lot of bears. I've I've enjoyed time with just a single bear sometimes. So, so what I'm, 
I'm okay. really glad we're doing the uh, the tooth and claw edition of the Wild and Exposed <laughs> podcast here. I, I, so we've been on boats a lot this this summer and haven't been, but the last couple uh, episodes I've listened to have been very antler antler heavy. So we need the, you know the bear crowd to represent uh, here. So yeah, shout out to I'll, the bears. Exactly. I have to tell give those guys some, a hard time because <laughs> it seems like we talk about elk and moose a lot. And I enjoy those too. And I, I do too. Yeah, I, I I do enjoy getting out and and. Uh, Looking for moose, but I gotta say I don't think I don't. I know Jason would say that the elkra is his most favorite thing to experience in nature. That salmon run. Anytime you see a salmon run and there's bears involved, that's got to be for me one of the most epic sights or scenes. And 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 I've I've sat and watched salmon runs before where it starts off with the bears. And then there's no bears, and you're sitting there, and you're just watching salmon, and it's just amazing. So, yeah, the salmon runs are, are, are pretty special when you get to see them. It just evokes so many questions. I mean, it's and, and for me, I, I'm, I'm constantly asking you guys questions because you've done it way longer than I have. But where did they go? How did they know to come back here? When do they decide they're going to go up the up the river? You know, there'll be thousands out here in the in the bay, but what? Is it weather? Is it water? Is it the smell? Is it the date and time? All of the above. Yeah. Or are they just waiting till John Rogers says they can go? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. So if somebody wants to do a trip, we're coming out of COVID. So hopefully things are going to start getting busier for you guys, but busier in general. We're probably looking, we're in 2020, summer of 2021 what now. It's 2021. Okay. So to plan a trip next year is probably pretty good chances if, I don't know, I mean, I'm assuming you wouldn't be totally full for the next year just because we went through this COVID thing. When should people start planning? Is this like a November, December kind of like if you want the best potential salmon runner, the best potential mating behavior to get on your, your all's docket now? And kind of secure that, and how does that work? Does it require a deposit? What what is kind of the so nuts you're asking? And bolt? When should they email Dave? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> when should when should they go to go bear, go see bears dot com? November December is a good time because um, after it, it things pick up. Well, actually, because there's there's Thanksgiving weekend. There's a lot of inquiries come in because people have a long holiday and they start planning things like that. So. November, December is a good time. January, you still get in. But once you're getting into February, you start, you're start you starting to, to limit. Um, and for the, the, the multi-day trips, it's a 50% deposit, usually within 10 days of booking the trip. And then the balances are due on those trips by mid-May of prior to your trip. Now, we also, you know, we require everybody to buy trip insurance. No, it doesn't count for covid and pandemics are not covered and when that happened last year we just refunded everybody their money because you know that's just the right thing to do so um for day trips we just require um we just require payment in full that way we don't have to mess around with money the day of the trip if we cancel because of weather you get your money back so um we're we're pretty good at that and if on there's a there's a window of it's 30 days on day trips. It's not refundable before, but you know, if you, we just like last week, we had somebody call and say I fell off the ladder and 
broke my ankle. It's like, you know, we're just going to send her your money back. It's like, you know, we just don't want to be sitting there. It's like, well, I decided not to go. <laughs> right. You know, but I for ho- bear trips, that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> <laughs> right. Everybody wants to go on the bear trips. But I've always been amazed. But how many people fall off ladders within just days of their vacation starting? <laughs> and so, like, if you're planning an Alaska vacation, don't go anywhere near ladders. Don't mow your lawn. Don't stand on a bucket in your garage <laughs> or anything for, like, months ahead of six, – six to eight weeks ahead of time. You know, keep two feet firmly on the ground. Be safe. Make it here. Well, and you guys, we were talking the other night about doing a wild and exposed uh, trip, which would be six or seven people, and it would be a boat-based thing. So we'll put that out as soon as we get it developed. But in to go along with that, if you're going to do a land-based camping situation, how many people? And is it best for people to come as a group? So you get three or four people that are you know photography buddies somewhere. And they say, okay, we want to do this trip together. Is that the best way to set it up? Or will you get individuals that are like, I want to do this. And then you're slowly assembling some sort of group to get enough people to make it worth. The short answer is yes, we do it both ways. Typically, it's usually a couple people or two couples that are both, you know. And typically, the camping trips, four people. Um, that's the max that's the max okay that's the max because logistically it because of airplanes that's what makes it work you know occasionally we've extended it to five but it it usually requires more in the cost for the airplane but um, typically we use four Um, it's an easy it's a good number for bears we will take you know we will take singles on on those trips too and we've taken as few as two so you know like when i first started doing it's like sometimes it's like only had two people it's like okay we'll just take out two people so could you have like eight people and then that essentially is two four-person groups and make that happen so you've got a group and you've got a group and you get two planes it's just four you just want to do four and that's mainly for the bears well well and i mean you'll you'll if you've been on the eight-person trip or a four-person trip, like the four-person trip, particularly for for photo stuff, um, it just makes it that much better, you know. And then, you know, also from uh, from our perspective and, and a logistics and workload thing, you know, you get back at the end of the day, are you cooking for eight people, are you cooking for four people, things like that. So it's for the bears, it's for the, you know, so we don't have to get bigger airplanes and things like that. It just, our recipe works for four. And then do you guys provide all the camping equipment or is that something that they need to bring along? All the food's provided, um, tents are provided. They need to bring their sleeping bag, their toothbrush, and their clothes, and basically that's it. So. And waiters. And waiters. Yeah, there's all, it's all it's But all you don't on need the, to bring waiters. Bring you don't them need, if you, you want don't need, on, on the, Actually, on the, yeah, on the, on the camping trips, they should, they should get their own because they're going to be living in them for about a week. Right. You know, day, yeah, day, day, <laughs> day trips. You know, we'll, we su- we supply the hip boots and stuff like that. So. And then, what's the number of people on a boat trip? About eight. Eight's a good number too, because once you get you once you start getting above eight, it gets a little gets a little awkward. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you can just get into so many more, you know, spots In, and intimate scenarios settings. and th- intimate settings with with the, the smaller group, and and it is it, it does. I guess our mantra is you know the the quality over quantity mm-hmm. kind of thing. So if we can if we can you know keep it within those parameters, we know we can provide 
the best services in the world. Small groups, big thrills. That's our. <laughs> it's on the web. It's on the website. That's Ooh, our. That's T-shirts made. That's that's our specialty, <laughs> and and part of that comes from my own personal experience, because I've done, I've done big families, and they're you know I've so we've had to charter big planes to do a day trip of maybe eight or ten. And, you know, I've gone from eight or ten people around bears to myself sitting by myself with bears. So I know, and I've seen it with two, Derek and I have sat right where we sit every day, just two of us for years. And so we know how they act around one, two, three, four, ten. And so that's why we're just, we're, it's about quality. And if you want a quality experience, we're going to keep that group small. You know, I've I've read some other things on some pretty pretty big companies that do inter you know international worldwide stuff and it's like and they talk about the small group experience and i go read the fine print it's like wow your definition of small group is a lot different than mine (laughs) (laughs) yeah i would say it's it's going with these guys is is the ticket but oh and i i tell you it is super fun to take out uh families mm -hmm. you know have the be have the the family vacation be uh you know taking the kids out on a bear viewing adventure, whether a boat, whatever, um, you know, just cause then you're, you end up being part of the family and getting Christmas cards and things <laughs> like that at the end. Yeah. Uh, there's, it's, so it's a super fun thing to do as a family as well. The other thing too is like, is, well, it's, I've actually had it on the camping trip. I mean, people do, cause it's not an inexpensive proposition. They'll do it for, honeymoons they do it for wedding significant wedding anniversaries or significant birthdays and stuff like that going out with the bears is 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 really really special and you know drew and i are fortunate that we get to have people that want to come up and and do it and we get to go out almost every day so i have no idea what the prices are currently but the last time i did a trip it seemed like it always averages out to about a thousand bucks a day which is expensive. You talk five days, you're talking five thousand bucks per person for a, an experience like this. But I, I've done it a few times, and it's well worth it. What can we? What can people expect? Is there a range that you can just? I, and we're not holding you to this, but <laughs> it's more of like what could people expect on a do a a, a would you say a four or five day land based, and then are boat based longer? By nature, yeah, 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 they so are. Just give us a, a average for boat and average for land. Average day trip right now. If you go to Homer, if you go to home, your your average day trip is running right close to a thousand dollars a day. Okay, and that's for four hours with the bear and a, and a plane ride. Well, with us and a plane, we, I, ha, I I will give a plug. We have an awesome float plane because yeah. we we go out in a in a De Havilland Beaver. And um, nothing against Cessnas, but if you can ride in a beaver, <laughs> do <Yeah>. it. <laughs> um, and it is on floats, so you do get the float experience. And they are more expensive to operate. That's part of the, the what we offer is, is the experience of the trip. COVID, we're going to do a little reset. We're probably going to redo the prices. But you, on a boat trip, you're, you're going to be $8,000 a person. And it's going to go up a little bit just because that was, we didn't, that our last boat trip was in 2019. And so uh, it'll go up, but that's just the, the, the ballpark benchmark kind of thing. Land-based depends on where the remote camp is. Probably you're figuring 
three night four day trip you're probably figuring about five grand a person but you're coming away with thousands of pictures guaranteed <laughs> and an experience of a lifetime yeah you cannot go through life as a wildlife photographer without having this experience <laughs> guaranteed i think it's um it's well worth it and i know plenty of people have done it i just think the way you guys do it and i've done it with several different companies i'd love going out with you guys and and getting a chance to talk to you and put it all out there on the web on the podcast it's been awesome well i'm super jealous you got to uh go out with derek stonerov i know on a camping trip long time ago and then when when that happened i was out with a couple other photographers and we used to do this we would do exactly what you you provide but we were doing it and i didn't realize when we talked to derek how knew this sort of thing was even when we did it because we did it in the late 90s and that just wasn't a common thing and in fact ken and chris didn't have camping set up when we called and said we wanted to go camping they went and bought all the camping stuff <laughs> so you it were was a prototype yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think we were it was super or the awesome. guinea pig i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was uh it was the experience of a lifetime and we didn't even have a good barrier that year because we had a die off on the fish and it was just weird weather conditions and but I still had the time of my life and we still got good pictures we just didn't get those classic fishing pictures that we all thought we were going to get well and part of that too i i guess we were trying to wind down and here i'm starting a new topic no, no. but you know it's it's one of the things like the challenges is you know the first day you take some images, but it's, it's in a lot of ways, it's it's getting the lay of land, figuring out what, what the bears are doing that year, which bears are there. And then as you get that under your belt and you start to say that first day is, is kind of shot creation in your mind. And then I think of the rest of the trip is, as execution where you're like, okay, this spot, you know, I want this shot. And one of the things I find super satisfying is crafting an experience that generates a specific image so it's it's yeah there's there's kind of there is it's fun to walk the river and, and do like kind of jump shooting like oh there's that over there there's that over there but to have an image in your mind and then put in the time and the research and the patience to actually make that image is just so satisfying and i and you know i, I do it myself and 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 helping other people do it um, just to see their excitement and like we did it like we put in you know three days of work to get that one shot and it is everything they imagined or more and i that's one of my favorite things to do and it is going to be if you do that in this situation you are going to have the national geographic moment but you might spend those three days to have that one moment because it just takes like you were talking about earlier with that trip you did with graham and dave they wanted one specific shot and so many variables had to fall into place for that one thing to happen that it just was over. And, and I don't even think they actually nailed it perfectly. It didn't quite well. It, yeah, it, it came together just about where, but it just, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe I'm good at sales. And so I just left them wanting more. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of that. So Dave, is there anything else you would add that we haven't covered that you think is good information for people that are, are planning a trip like this or, or uh, just even starting in the investigation part of it um, that we've left out? I think we've covered, I think we've covered pretty much everything pretty well. I'd say give yourself enough time to plan, to plan your itinerary. 
Alaska's a big place, and you can't do it in a week. Um, you know, and, and, and kind of put the bears towards the end of the trip, typically. Well, we'll help you on the timing. Sometimes we can help you on the timing. Sometimes you might want to move it up. more, But typically, you kind of want to put the bears at the end of your trip, because otherwise, everything's going to be disappointing after that. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. No, it's no. That's, we very, get, that's true. We get a lot. It's like, wow, that was the highlight of my trip, and and we're flying back to we're going back to Anchorage tomorrow and home after that. Save save it towards the end. And let me just say, and and maybe this is good information for this particular trip we're on right now, which is a different sort of thing. It's it's probably not exactly what what we're talking about for the average photographer but we started talking when last we started talking october, november, october november? november yeah something like that yeah. and it took a lot of calls and a lot of figuring it out and is that typical with other guests as well or since this was a special we set up a lot this of is stuff. a film project and right. they they just typically take a lot more conversations and phone calls and emails but no for a regular like a boat trip there's going to be specific dates and you may have some questions about more questions on what to bring or stuff like that. But those things are pretty much laid out, set in stone. You'll get a packet trip confirmation that has really all the information that you need. If you have a specific question on where to stay in Homer or something like that before your trip, I mean, there's, there's those kind of questions. But um, even some of that information's on the website as far as, you know, under the resources link and stuff like that. But the film projects aside, that's like a whole separate division of what we do for the regular kind of client photography trips or even introductory video trips. Those are pretty much, you know, we've got date ranges for those. Well, I'm really excited about the proposition of putting together a wild and exposed uh, trip. Like that would just be a lot of fun to, to get out there and, and uh, yeah, maybe we get some of those antler crew guys to <laughs> come see some bears. I don't think it's going to take any, <laughs> any, uh, what do they call it? Uh, twisting of their arms. At no, all. Okay. I, I think it, the minute we can put that together, it'll happen. <laughs> do you have anything to add? That you think we haven't missed? No, I, I think uh, I think that about covers it. I, I am, you know, thanks for for doing our, our little bear series here, and hopefully we'll be able to to get some more uh, bear folks on and do do some more of these because uh, it is fun dealing into. I mean, we talk a little photography, but you know, getting a little more uh, uh, anecdotal, some stories, and I think it's it's going to be a ton of fun if we can get some more of these going. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. So for show notes, we're going to put your web address in the show notes so you can find it, but it's biggosiebears.com. Anything else that we've talked about or recommendations? Actually, what I'm going to do is just put your address, but I might even put in some individual links to the resources and to all the different things that you have on your page so that people can get an idea. Same with Drew's stuff, and so you can see Drew's images that he's getting out here on these trips. That's the cool thing, too, is you guys get a chance to take some pictures so that you have some stuff so that people can see. But more times than not, you guys are just sitting there watching bears. We're taking the pictures, and then occasionally you'll whip out a camera and take a picture, and then you put it away, and you're paying attention to the bears. So that's the other. One of the fun things about the boat trips is being able to, well, have power and things like that so people can have their iPads or uh, laptops, and we can talk editing too because i mean it's it's one art form is going out and taking the photos and then the next art form is the editing and that's going to be that. part of the wild and exposed thing. it'll be more yeah. like a seminar style where we can actually talk about stuff at the end we of the day or up on the beginning on the screen of the day and show some edits and yeah I, I do enjoy the 
Well, I enjoy some aspects of the editing. <laughs> the, the culling of all the photos is the hard part. And then when you get one you really like, it's fun to put it up on the screen. and, Six, and show 64 it gigabytes of salmon going up the stream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't get one. But. But, but you're really good at going through them daily and getting stuff taken care of fairly quick. Well, that's because my hard drive is full of the uh, the images I didn't cull from. <laughs> I'm still culling moose photos from, from, last from our year. last uh yeah. yeah what do what if what do bear photographers or well probably most photo alaskan photographers and what do they do in the winter yeah they try to make time to delete photos <laughs> right <laughs> well and in, in, you got to squeeze that in between uh aurora aurora hunting and, adventures yeah, so yeah. aurora hunting is that's that's another passion that drew and i share yeah we'll have to do an aurora podcast too that'll be fun well and that's another opportunity right you got do you guys do Aurora, I know you do, Drew, especially in Churchill. But do you do stuff, Dave? I haven't. I I may start. I may start up again. I haven't done any for a few years. Um, now that we're reestablished to back up in Fairbanks, I I may get that going. And who knows? I may even get a dog sled ride and thrown in <laughs> with it, <laughs> which would be really cool. There we go. <laughs> Well, thanks so much. We appreciate you guys' time, and uh, everybody stay tuned on this uh, show notes page to get more information. All right. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review, and make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. gonna make it someday. Nothing's gonna get in our way. We will be the biggest band in time.